0: This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American Story, written and narrated by New York Times bestselling ghostwriter Nancy French, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hello, this is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts. And today, uh, we have with us Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, Many of you are already familiar with Jackie. She's a writer, speaker, and artist. Uh, She she debuted her album, her first album, The Art of Joy, in 2014, and her latest album, Crescendo, uh, came out in 2018. And uh, she's written a really fascinating book called Gay Girl, Good God, uh, which came out earlier this year. And uh, I want to talk to her about that and some other issues. And I'm especially glad that Jackie's with me today because she's starting her new tour today as we're recording this. And so she's in the middle of a thousand and one things. Thanks, Jackie, for being here.
1: Thank you, Dr. Moore.
0: Tell us a little bit about, for those who aren't familiar, about your story, about uh, sort of your background and how you came to know the Lord Jesus.
1: Yeah, uh, to say it as succinctly as I can, um, I was raised in a church context. Not because of my parents, but because of my aunt. My aunt was a believer, and I went to church with her every Sunday when my mother went to work. Um, and I think being raised around her, even though I had my own issues, I just had an awareness of Jesus and the Bible and community and worship uh, that I don't think I would have had otherwise. And so when I started to mm-hmm. discover that I was same-sex attracted, um, I had uh, something to compare it to, um, I guess, some hope in light of what I was feeling and sensing. But yeah. when I did notice it, I didn't feel as if I had the freedom to be honest with it. Or, and how, or how about old it. were you then? Uh, my, uh, uh, I don't know. Before seven. Okay. I, I know that. Yeah. Um, that I just, I, I, I sensed, hey, the same way that the other girls like the boys is the same way that I like the girls, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I was quiet about it, silent about it, until high school is when I It felt as if to be gay would be easier than to continue to act uh, heterosexual. And that's what I did. Mm. Um, and then eventually, when I was 19, uh, God spoke to my heart while I was in my room doing nothing spiritual. I wasn't watching a Beth Moore tape or anything. And I felt <laughs> convicted of my sin and all of my sin, not just lesbianism, not just sexual immorality, but the, the ultimate sin that I think I was a slave to was unbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, And I just saw that Jesus had to be the worthy one uh, over and above all the other things that I was placing or putting in his place. And so by his grace, I just believed him, mm-hmm.
0: you know. One of the things that I found really uh, poignant in your book is when you were talking about your mom uh, and and oh. about how you sort of were grappling with whether or not you should talk to your mom about this stuff. And uh, how, how did that how did that go for you?
1: Well, um, I think sovereignty snitched on me. To be mm-hmm. to be honest with you, because uh, I I was a it's not that I was afraid to talk to her because she was a Christian. It's just black mamas don't react well to certain things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was just afraid at what she would say. Um, but what happened was I was with her in the car, and she used to listen to talk radio, and there was a, a episode on the talk radio where they were having parents call in uh, about their gay children and all the signs that they saw that told them that their children were gay. And so I'm just sitting here like, why is this happening right now, this moment, while I'm in the car? Um, And many of the signs that the parents talked about were me. And so Mm -hmm. she turned to me and she said, is that you? And I said, yeah. And I cried because I felt exposed. I felt vulnerable. I didn't know she would continue to love me in the same way now that she knew that I would not possibly get married to a man or even have children one day. Um, But I did. Mm
0: mhm. I talk to tons of moms and dads uh, who really grapple with how to respond when they, have, when they hear that conversation coming from uh, their son or daughter, whether it's somebody yeah. who is saying, hey, I'm a Christian and um, I, I'm disturbed by this and I don't know what to do, or if, if they're told by someone who says, this is who I am and how I'm going to proceed uh, forward, what sort of advice would you give to those, those parents?
1: I think the first thing is prayer, prayer for wisdom. And I had an interview with somebody where I said, that as an answer, and they said, can you give me something more practical? Uh And I said, that's the most practical thing that I could give you, because there's so many different scenarios, and there's so many ways which you could respond. To to some children, you might need to point to the Bible and point to biblical truth. To others, you might need to listen. To others, you might need to just pray in that moment. To others, you might need to push back. Um, And so I think we need and need to beg for God's wisdom, uh, divine wisdom in that moment to know what to do best. Um, Mm -hmm. I think secondly, my prayer for people is always that they would display love physically before they do it verbally Um, like praying that God would give you love even in your body because Mm -hmm. people pay attention to that they know Mm -hmm. when you're becoming defensive or you're frowning but you're saying I love you there's a disconnect between what you're saying and how you're saying it and so I think paying attention to am I being compassionate and merciful and loving and caring even physically Um, and I think third, ask questions uh, people are never as simple as we make them. None of these scenarios are as black and white as we would prefer them to be. And so I think with all of the gray, I think ask good questions. How does this make you feel? How long have you felt this? Does this does this bother you? Is, do you feel like this is who you are? Like, and not accusatory questions, but questions that offer clarity so that if I do choose to give it advice in this moment, a point to the truth, I'm much more accurate and precise in what I give you. Mm.
0: Now, when you came to Faith in Christ, was the background that you had had in the church, was that something sort of pointing you uh, along the way toward Christ, or was that an obstacle that you had to overcome, or both?
1: Yeah, I think— I think it was a pointer. I think I think both in in some ways because I think the the obstacle is that I know I knew that Jesus demanded everything of those who followed him. Uh-huh. Um And so to, for me, I wasn't I wasn't trying to do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. I wasn't trying to sell everything and and follow him or give away everything and follow him. But I think it was an arrow in the sense that I was always aware of Jesus and his gospel, always to the point that it convicted me. And it wasn't that I. Uh, had all of this theology, it's simple stuff. Like I remember being in Sunday school and them talking about John three sixteen that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That haunted me my entire life, and so I think when it when the Holy Spirit and by God's grace was lifting the veil, I actually knew who to turn to because of all of the things that had been poured into me through the church.
0: Mm. Well, you know, we think about sometimes the hard conversation that we just mentioned about, you know, a child to parents. But what about the sort of conversation that you would have had to have had with your friends about, hey, I'm a Christian now? What was that like?
1: That's a great question. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think I handled those conversations well because I didn't know what to say or do. Mm. I think the hardest conversation really was with my girlfriend because I, I had to call her and let her know. And all I could do was explain what happened, which was, I love you, but I feel like I need to love God more. And to love God more, I can't be with you. And that was a really, 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 really hard conversation to have. But I think all other conversations after that one were easier because everyone didn't have my affections in the same way that she did. Um, But I think over time, uh, my decision became much more obvious just because I was a different person.
0: So you didn't have this sort of long period of time. Some people do where they're trying to think, oh, well, how can I do both? uh how how can no. i live the life i'm living now and uh follow jesus and they sort of kind of kick against the goads as paul says for a while you you sort of immediately knew what repentance would look like for you
1: oh yeah um which is nothing literally but the spirit you yeah. know, uh, in Second Corinthians four, where it says how oh, God, who said, "Let there be light," has shown in our hearts to give us the light uh, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It didn't make sense for me to be so willing to obey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. really didn't. Um, but I think that was just that's just the power of conversion. But for me, I knew that when what God was showing me about Himself was that this was an all or nothing situation. If I wanted Him, I needed to go after Him. Period. Not Him and. Uh, not him and addition to, but just him. Um, And that didn't mean that it was easy. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, but I just felt like I didn't have a choice. It it didn't seem like repentance was an option for me.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that this is an issue that really transcends the whole LGBT debate and gets right at the core of everything and everybody, because you've got a section in here uh, in your book called, uh, You're Not Your Temptations. And uh, one of the things that I've I've noticed is because there's a sense of we want to be authentic uh, to ourselves. And I think that actually is coming from a good impulse of, uh, yeah. you know, uh, shedding superficiality and shedding fakery and all that sort of thing. So I think it's a good impulse, but it's redirected in some really horrible ways that uh, there are so many people who think no matter what it is that their particular sin pattern or point of vulnerability, or maybe even not something that is morally problematic, but just is, is not what they need in order to follow Christ. I mean, it could be the whole range of things. They think, well, because I'm experiencing this, this is who I am. And so I just have to, to go in that direction. How do we uproot that in our own hearts and, and also in terms of the people that we're trying to disciple and evangelize and everything else?
1: It's so difficult because I think we're in a world and in a culture and we're raised to believe that how we feel determines who we are. Um, and I think it 's dangerous because we all feel all kinds of ways all the time, yeah, and so if my identity is contingent upon my feelings and my affections, my identity is going to be all over the place uh, but I, I think it 's better and wiser and much more healthy for us to anchor or tether our identity to what God has said in His word, because that doesn 't change you know yeah um, and so I think when I think this, when it comes to discipleship, I think what people need to know is that we need to identify ourselves by faith, therefore. If God says, um, I am a new creature, Mm -hmm. even though you don't feel like a new creature, even though you don't have new creature thoughts sometimes, Mm -hmm. if God said you're a new creature, that's who you are. But you have to believe that by faith, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I think that's the challenge is how do we get outside of, or how do we get beyond allowing us and the world and the flesh to determine who we should be rather uh, than letting the text speak into that.
0: Mm. You were 19, is that right, when you came to faith?
1: Yeah, I was. That's a child. That's still a child. That's, a, a, child, that's yeah. a
0: tumultuous time for, for everybody. Uh what would you say to nineteen year old Jackie Hill if if you were able to talk to her in terms of advice and, and wisdom for the future? As
1: a new believer? Yeah. Ooh. it's stay in their word. It doesn't make any sense right now. It's really confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but be be diligent, because that, that is what will sustain you and carry you and keep you and change you. Um, find some really wise women. Uh, not pe- Don't just connect with your friends that love Jesus, too, but find women that are older, that are wiser, that have been living way longer than you and with Jesus much longer than you have, uh, and they'll show you the way. I, I think that would have been... Helpful for me. I ended up being able to submit to those two truths, but it took more time than I think I would have needed.
0: Yeah. What What advice would you give to pastors and teachers and women's ministry directors and counselors and others who are working within the life of a church when it comes to speaking to these uh, LGBT uh, issues um, yeah. a, as it comes out of the text? Because one of the things that uh, tends to happen is you have some people who are very harsh uh, and sometimes give the impression we don't even want to share the gospel with uh, people who have this particular pattern of of, uh, sin in life. But then you have other people who, while they might not want to rewrite the Bible to affirm these things, they just go very, very silent, and they don't want to talk about it at all because they don't want to just get into all the controversy uh, about it. So how would you advise uh, leaders within the church to to deal with this in a better way?
1: Ooh, Um, there's a lot there. I I think books are helpful, and I think people are are doing that. That's one thing I've been really encouraged about when it comes to God's church is that they are— Doing all that they need to do to understand uh, so that they can be better equipped to know how to love their neighbor. And so I think that that to me speaks to the reality that God really is finishing the work that He started in His church. And so continue that. Continue to learn and read books, Sam Alberry, Rosa- Rosario Butterfield, Christopher mm-hmm. Yuan, et cetera. Um, but I think there has to be an awareness of our own heart and how it can taint ministry, meaning our own heart where, where it could lead towards a harshness and a Uh, I think, a works-based kind of evangelism, which comes out in someone becoming impatient when somebody doesn't change just because you felt like you preached the gospel well enough. Or there's the tendency towards complicity, uh, which I think comes out of... uh, a justice-oriented heart. A lot of the people I know that are really, uh, what's the word, lenient when it comes to sexual sin can be justice-oriented people, Mm -hmm. but I think the problem is that they lean towards loving people more than they love God, and so just being aware of your bent and Mm -hmm. not allowing that bent to taint what God would have you do in ministry.
0: Hmm. Let's talk about music and poetry uh, for a minute, because for whatever reason, I tend to be surrounded by uh Artists, uh, songwriters, and singers—that those are kind of my closest friends in many ways. And uh, I'm somebody who has absolutely no talent in terms of uh, <laughs> songwriting and so forth. But I wish I did. You know, so it's one of those yeah. things like, I wish I could do what you do. And one of the things that uh, that I often will ask people who are in the world that you're in is how do you avoid the situation? Because I've known people who are are artists of various kinds who will say, you know, I started out with a lot of things to say, a lot of inspiration, a lot of creativity, and then I sort of got on the road and I had the pressure to create and I just got stale and lost all of that. Or people who will say, I'm in the, the middle of all of this and I kind of lost the vibrancy of my walk with with God. How do you navigate all that in terms of your, your creativity?
1: I think creativity... Um changes and adjusts uh, according to seasons. I, I think I was much more, I wouldn't say I was more creative, but creativity was much more accessible when I didn't have as much going on. So mm-hmm. when I was just creating for creativity's sake, when I was 19, 20, didn't have a husband, didn't have children, didn't have a ministry really, it was just coming out of me freely. I think now in the life stages I'm in, I'm busier, I have, I have much more stress, I'm older, I have less time. I think a lot of that has made me have to work for creativity, but I think that there's something good about that. because to have to work for it means that I have to ask God for it, It means that I have to to read, I have to study. And I think when creativity comes easy, I think there's so much more room for pride. But when you have to work to be good, and to be uh, to to be able to angle words or sentences or songs or hooks in a way that's not normal or boring, uh, it gives you a sense of a lack of ownership. Where when people do praise it and are affected by it, it's you recognize, oh, that didn't come out of me naturally. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I, I had to do some things for that. And so I think I think I just changed my perspective. I'm not as easily discouraged about having to uh, work for it as I would have been some years back.
0: And your husband, Preston Perry, is an artist in his own right uh, and is yeah. also a creative. Is that helpful or is that something you have to sort of work around two creative artists in the same huh. in the same house?
1: I think it's helpful because we, we get each other and we get mm-hmm. each other's struggle. And so if I am struggling creatively, then he knows where to take me to encourage me. So he'll say, hey. Read this book or watch this poem, and vice versa. If he's struggling, struggling creatively, I'm even able to identify. It's not that that line wasn't. So, if he wrote to, writes a poem, it isn't that that line is a bad line. Is that you're being a perfectionist? And you wanted to be the perfect line when God might not be having. So I'm able to challenge uh, him as a creative because I understand, you know. And That's I think it makes good. it makes for a pretty cool marriage.
0: That's good. That's good. Well, this is Jackie Hill Perry. She's the author of Gay Girl, Good God. And I'm a huge fan of both Preston and Jackie Hill Perry. And am just really, really grateful for your taking the time uh, to talk to us today on Signpost. Thank you, Dr. Moore.